0: Good morning. We are happy to have you here as we continue our study of 1 John, and we welcome our KFUO listening audience. Today, we're going to pick up 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Now, this reflects actually a verse in chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Now, what's being referred to here, the message that was heard from the beginning, is, of course, the words of Jesus that we find in John chapter 13, which is to love one another. Um, and uh, so that's why it's being referred to as, that you have heard from the beginning, this was Jesus' own teaching that we should love one another. And then he draws a negative comparison. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. All right, so uh, John is drawing a comparison here between a person. That believes and holds to Jesus Christ, who loves one another, versus Cain, who murdered his brother. Now, it says he was of the evil one. This is really drawing us back into the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, is the verse that's being talked about here. And this is 844. You are of your father, the devil. He's speaking to those that oppose him. You are of, your, are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, that is Jesus Christ's description of Satan. Now, he makes several points. First of all, Satan was a murderer in that he murdered Adam and Eve. He brought death. He killed them, all right? And he's a liar, okay? He told Eve and Adam, if you eat of the fruit, you will not surely die. Satan cannot tell the truth. He cannot tell the truth. He is a liar and a murderer. So, John is drawing this parallel and he is likening Cain to the evil one because Cain murdered his brother and then lied about it. Okay? So, He is following, and and what John is drawing is this parallel. Those that believe in Jesus Christ and his message to love one another and those that follow the evil one, and they are murderers. Now, the other thing that is very uh, specific here we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Uh, the word for murdered there is not a common word. Uh, the word for murdered there is, actually means to slaughter a sacrifice with a knife. It's very brutal. The word actually means man killer. It's only used here and where Jesus talks about Satan being a murderer and killer. John uses this specific word in those two places to really emphasize how brutal and violent this was. Okay. And why did he murder him? Eh? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Eh? His brothers were righteous. Eh? Remember the story? Evil sacrifices were acceptable to God. Pains, we're not. But the point here is there is no black and white. You are either a follower of Jesus Christ or you are not. There is no gray. There is no third category, such as pretty good, almost there, not as bad as the rest. You believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you are called upon to love one another. Or you do not believe in Jesus Christ, and your natural tendency is to hate. To hate. Now, verse 13 do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, what he's going to talk about here is. John considers hate murder. You don't have to pick up a knife and stab somebody. You don't have to draw a gun and shoot somebody. You don't have to hire a hitman to be a murderer. Here, John is going to talk about how murder is hate. Now, do not be surprised. The word surprise is marveled. It's the only time John uses it in any of his writings. Don't be surprised. Brothers, that the world hates you. There's a technical term that describes when a word is only used once by an author. You don't need to know what it is, but it means that he's drawing special emphasis by the use of this word in just that place. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in debt. Okay, now so he's still drawing this two, backing up these two categories. Now, if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then there is love for the brother, and life, okay, life, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ and hate, there is death, but notice how it makes it clear, now you understand why, why the world hates you. Because it's just the opposite of the natural world. It's just the opposite of people who are born in sin, reject Jesus Christ, and follow the way of the original sin in their heart. And it brings Death, not life. And then he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So here we have the statement. It does not have to be the actual act of killing the person it's hate. It has been internalized. Now, Jesus did that. Uh, He did it a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The other example is um, if you lust after another person, you have committed adultery. You see, there was this tendency, and we always have that tendency, to Let the law, narrow the law so we can keep it. I haven't actually murdered anybody. I haven't actually committed adultery. But that's what the Jewish scholars and rabbis wanted to do, make the law something you can keep. Jesus then internalizes it. So you can't keep it. If you hate, you're a murderer. If you lust, you've committed adultery. So we cannot keep the law of God. We confess our sins and thought, word, and eat. So Jesus uh, internalizes the law, and so does John here. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, um What he's saying is, if you remain as an unbeliever, if you remain as one who does not love the neighbor, uh, death abides in you. Now, certainly, if someone comes to faith in Christ, that changes. But this is talking about if you remain that way if you remain that way, um, then that's what abides in you. That's what abides in Uh Your stubborn refusal to believe, uh, you abide in death. You abide in death. And your natural tendency is going to be hate. Now, Hate is probably the most powerful motivator on earth. If people can get you to hate, they can motivate you to do things. And I will give you an example. The evening news. do they try to get you to hate the yeah, other five? Yes. Hate is a powerful motivator. I'll tell you, there's no person who has ever done a doctorate, I speak from experience, have ever done a doctorate, who has ever written a doctoral dissertation that does not complete it because they hate. They've read so many books. They've written so much stuff, they want it out of their life, that's what motivates you to finish a duff. Hate it. I want this out of my life. And it works. So, if Satan can get you to hate, he can motivate you to do things. You don't silly okay? if he can get you to hate. And it is a powerful motivator that Satan uses in our lives to try to get, move, move us to do things we would not naturally do So we would naturally do them, but they are against what Christ is trying to work in us. Verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, huh? Oh, I jumped too far. Yeah. Both of them start by this, we know. By this, we know, love, that he laid down his life For us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. All right. So he's saying here this is the uh, ultimate example. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. And that is our not only example but the power to live that kind of life ourselves. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, okay? Now, uh, the need, it's actually shut up your heart of compassion. That's really what it's saying. Shut up your gut. Don't let the feeling you have of uh, for this person, don't allow it to translate into action. Now, we probably all had that happen. We saw somebody in need, we didn't do anything, and we felt bad later. That's exactly what this is talking about. If you do that, if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet shuts up his heart of compassion against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's a rhetorical question, and the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't. Little children, let us not love in word, or the actual word is tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay, so in other words, we're not to just talk a good game about love it's not just be to just be word it is to be first of all um deed and in truth now he's going back to his uh two categories and one is based on truth is the message we heard from the beginning, Jesus Christ from him or falsehood, which is Satan because he always lies. Okay. So truth and falsehood. We are not just to talk about it. We are to do it. Carry it out in the truth of God's word. The truth not only shows us the way, because it is God's word, it empowers us to do it. It empowers us to do it. Yes. The truth shall make you free. Yeah, that's from John 8 also. Um The truth, think of it this way. The world, even your own self at times tells you lies and you are enslaved to them. It is only God's word that shows you the truth that there is forgiveness of sins, there is another way. So that sets us free from Satan and his lies. Okay, now we're ready for 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Now, what he's talking about is You assuring yourself that you are of the truth. Now, what we're going to get into here is what do feelings, how do feelings play in to this whole uh, teaching of faith? So, The truth should assure us, should assure our hearts before him that we are his people, his children. The truth should. Now, who works that in us? Not us. The Spirit does. But we have to keep in mind that we are also still sinful people. So he says, Or whenever our heart condemns us, you see, sometimes your heart, the spirit works and assures you. There are other times you feel condemned, guilty, what to do then? God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He's pointing us away from trusting totally in your feelings. You know, we all know, some days we feel great. We feel like we're forgiven children of God. Life is good. God's on our side. Everything is great. The next day, you feel like, where is God? Why he let this happen to me? You know the switch. It happens to all of us. On the days when things are not so good, on the days when we're feeling very guilty, on the days if we're wondering, have I done that so much, God doesn't forgive me anymore, then John. Says this God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. To stake our faith on our feelings, we're going to be on a constant roller coaster ride with our emotions. God is greater than our heart. In other words, when those times when our heart is condemning us, God is reminding us, my son died for you. Your sins are forgiven. You're still my child. No matter what happens, I'm still with you. Our faith rests on Christ and his word, not on how you feel that day. Satan will try to use those feelings to get you to doubt. We always go back to Christ and his word and then you can know for sure why, because it's the truth. And he never lies, he never lies. Satan does, but he does not lie, he knows everything. In the next verse, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before God. In other words, when you can be confident because of Christ and his word, then you have confidence before God. I can stand before God because my sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. He is on my side. He is my God. He is my protector. He's my forgiver. He's going to take care of me. You have confidence before God. And what does that translate into? And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. All right. So. This is not a magical formula. Because you have confidence in God, faith in God, your sins are forgiven, does not mean that just because you ask for something, you're going to get it. Okay? You want to ask for a new Cadillac? Go ahead. But you may not get it. may not get it. This is not a magical formula. He is going to give you what is in accord with the best for you. Okay? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. In other words, he's not going to let anything get in the way of us living as his children. And if you win the lottery, you might give up your faith and trust in money the rest of your life. God would rather have you poor and in heaven than rich and in hell. He's going to do what is best for you according to his will. But we can be confident and we can bring anything to him in prayer. And he is going to always answer as is best for us, his children. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Okay, what we see here is the first thing he describes is our vertical relationship, our relationship between God and us. That is determined solely by faith in Jesus Christ, his son. That's what determines our relationship with God. That's what puts us as his forgiven child. That's what puts us in his presence as his forgiven child, and we can have confidence that we're the children of God. That is all by faith in Jesus Christ. That defines our vertical relationship. But our horizontal relationship is defined by how we treat one another. The vertical relationship is to spill over in the way we live with others. We show our love for Christ by how we treat other people. How we treat other people. The love we have for others is how we show the love we have of Christ, okay, the love we have, right. And Luther wrote uh, a lot about that. Uh, Don't tell me you love Jesus when you don't go love for us. It's mutually exclusive. That's what matters. So the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Commandments here should not be thought of as the Ten Commandments. The the commandments he's talking about is just what he said. You believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's what he's talking about. When that's going on, God abides in you and you in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to us through the Word, through baptism. And works faith in our hearts, puts us in the vertical relationship with God, and then spills over into our relationship with one another. Hey, everybody with me? All right. So verse chapter 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, in our age, you have to do that. In our age, you have. To. How many things do you hear every day? From other people, from the television, the car radio, the computer screen. How many things? Do you process a day? Now, some of them are very easy. You know this is not right. Or you know it is. But there are other things we don't know. Test the spirits means you test what you hear against the truth that God tells you. There is no other basis or standard that you can use. You can't use your own gut the way you may feel about it. You have to have a standard or the test. And that is always God's word. If it contradicts God's word or goes against God's word, it is not of God. There is no such thing as God giving contradictory messages, He does not change. So you see, you hear these. Criminals say, God told me to do this. Absolutely wrong. God doesn't do that. God doesn't give the Ten Commandments and then tell somebody, go break them. We have to test what we hear uh, in our day against God's word. We cannot take it, everything on face value, that it's truth. Heck. Okay? That it's true. Fake news is alive and well. At all levels. At all levels. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And they have. And we even have to test the spirits when it comes to what we hear from other Christians. We have to test that, too. And sometimes it just doesn't sound right. We have to check that out. We have to check that out. Um, because there are, are false prophets. By this, you know the spirit of God. All right? By this. Now, he's given you the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, this statement was very important at this time because you remember when we talked about Colossians, We talked about the fact that Gnosticism believed that the material world, including flesh and blood, was evil, and only the spiritual realm could be good. That's present. Here. There were those that said there's no way Jesus Christ can be God if he has a body and soul. This is affirming that that is the Christian faith. Because if Jesus Christ did not have a body and soul, he Didn't save us. He had a body and soul so he could bleed and die. And he had to do both to save us from sin and death. It had to be a blood sacrifice and he had to die. The wages of sin is death. He had to take our wage upon himself. So to be able to bleed and die, he had to be true man. For us and for our salvation, he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and became man. He confessed that in the Nicene Creed this morning. Okay. It is the essential part of the faith. If you deny, honest saying, if you deny that he uh, came in the flesh for us, then that's not of God. Now, think how many people there are out there who have come up with their own confession of who Jesus Christ is and what he did And it's not this. Oh, they talk a good game. But they're not talking about the Jesus Christ you and I are. And then he goes on. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's the only place in the New Testament where it just says Jesus on just as Jesus. Notice what he calls it then. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, if John's saying it's already there then, we know it's already here now. The spirit of Antichrist is not just one person. It's the whole teaching by anyone that teaches what is opposed to Jesus Christ. What teaches that Jesus Christ is not the Savior of the world. Is not the Savior of the world. And this is in the world, and it's all around us. How many negative statements are there about Christ, about his church, about what he teaches, what we believe? We hear it constantly. It is out in the world, It's going to continue to be in the world as long as this world lasts. Not something that's going to go away. It's not something that's going to be defeated. In fact, it's going to get worse. There's going to be more of it. And we know that. We experience it every week. It's all around us. It's all around us. John is warning of that already in the first century, that this is going to go on. Therefore, you have to test the spirits to see if what you're hearing is of the truth of God's word. Back again, those two categories, truth versus lies, okay? Life versus death. Christ versus Satan, um, love versus hate, faith versus unbelief, uh, and John is is drawing that parallel for us to uh, to help us to see where we are in this world and what's going on around. All right, let's. Pause and question. Yeah, Mark? Yes. Well, certainly it's emphasized that the false prophets are are now abound. But you have references to false prophets in the prophets, especially in Jeremiah. Certain prophets are pointed out uh, at that time, uh, the, the prophets were saying that Babylon is going to destroy and carry up all into exile. But the false prophets were saying, no, God loves us, won't let it happen. So there were false prophets, and they are called false prophets all the way from that time. Um, but certainly they abound. And certainly they abound now. But they've all they've always been around. Yes, he's out of God. Yes, this verse, these verses, you'll notice, uh, talk about the Trinity, the relation. What it's saying is this: the. Father has told us this from the beginning. His son, who is from him, also tells us this. And the spirit confirms it in our hearts. The same message, the same truth. Same thing. Same thing comes from Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son. So it's a consistent message, a message that we can trust, and that's why we call it truth. That's why John calls it the truth. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Other question. Yeah. that is That is correct. Um she is saying that there are many today who believe that Christians are weak because anytime they have a problem they rush to God. But they consider themselves intellectually superior, knowing there as far as they're concerned, there is no God and they solve these on their own. Well, Steve says it's really sad that our leaders call themselves Christians, but they're not following God's word. But isn't that true of all Christians at some point? Well, be careful of the Greek. Hey, be careful of the Greek. But he who has not cast a Sin cast the first down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else we'll pick up here next week? Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.